0: Section 5 of Our Street This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Street by William Makepeace Thackeray Some of the servants in Our Street These gentlemen have two clubs in our quarter, for the butlers at the Indiaman and for the gents in livery at the Paddington Arms. "'of either of which societies I should like to be a member. "'I am sure they could not be so dull as our club at the Polo "'where one meets the same neat, clean, respectable old fogies every day. "'But with the best wishes, it is impossible for the present writer "'to join either the plate club or the uniform club, "'as these reunions are designated.'" for one could not shake hands with a friend who was standing behind your chair, or not a howdy-do to the batter who was pouring you out a glass of wine, so that what I know about the gents in our neighborhood is from mere casual observation. For instance, I have a slight acquaintance with one, Thomas Spavin, who commonly wears the above air of injured innocence and is groomed to Mr. Joseph Green of our street. I tell why the brome oss is out of condition, and why desperation broke out all in a lather. Osses will this heavy weather, and desperation was always the most mistress hoss I ever see. I take him out with Mr. Anderson's ounce, I'm above it. I, Alice, was too timid to write to ounce by nature, and colonist Sprigg's groom, as says he saw me, is a liar, etc., etc., Such is the tenor of Mr. Spavin's remarks to his master. Whereas all the world in our street knows that Mr. Spavin spends at least a hundred a year in beer, that he keeps a betting book, that he has lent Mr. Green's black brougham horse to the omnibus driver, and at a time when Mr. G. supposed him at the veterinary surgeon's, has lent him to a livery stable— which has let him out to that gentleman himself, and actually driven him to dinner behind his own horse. This conduct I can understand, but I cannot excuse. Mr. Spavin may, and I leave the matter to be settled betwixt himself and Mr. Green. The second is Monsieur Sinbad, Mr. Clarence Bulbul's man, who we all hate Clarence for keeping. Mr. Sinbad is a foreigner, speaking no no language but a mixture of every European dialect, so that he may be an Italian brigand, or a Tyrolese minstrel, or a Spanish smuggler, for what we know. I have heard say that he is neither of these, but an Irish Jew. He wears studs, hair oil, jewelry, and linen shirt fronts, very finely embroidered, but not particular for whiteness. He generally appears in faded velvet waistcoats of a morning, and is always perfumed with stale tobacco. He wears large rings on his hands, which look as if he kept them up the chimney. He does not appear to do anything earthly for Clarence Bulbul, except to smoke his cigars and to practice on his guitar. He will not answer a bell, nor fetch a glass of water, nor go off an errand, on which, or rest, Clarence dares not send him, being entirely afraid of his servant, and not daring to use him or to abuse him, or to send him away. 3. Adams, Mr. Champion's man, a good old man in an old livery coat with old worsted lace, so very old, deaf, surly, and faithful that you wonder how he should have got into the family at all, who never kept a footman till last year, when they came into the street. Miss Clapperclaw says she believes Adams to be Mrs. Champion's father, and he certainly has a look of that lady, and Miss C pointed out to me at dinner one night, whilst Old Adams was blundering about amongst the hired men from Gunter's, and falling over the silver dishes. Four, Phipps, the buttoniest page in all the street, walks behind Mrs. Grimsby with her prayer book and protects her. If the woman wants a protector, a female acquaintance remarks heaven be good to us she is as big as an ogress and has an upper lip which many a cornet of the lifeguards might envy her poor dear husband was a big man and she could beat him easily and did too mrs grimsby indeed why my dear mr tidmarsh is glumdalka walking with tom thumb this observation of miss C.'s is very true and Mrs. Grimsby might carry her prayer book to church herself. But Miss Clapperclaw, who was pretty well able to take care of herself too, was glad enough to have the protection of the page when she went out in the fly to pay visits, and before Mrs. Grimsby and she quarreled at whist at Lady Pocklington's. After this merely parenthetic observation, we come to four, one of her ladyship's large men. Mr. James, a gentleman of vast stature and proportions, who is almost nose-to-nose with us as we pass her ladyship's door on the outside of the omnibus. I think James has a contempt for a man whom he witnesses in that position. I have fancied something like that feeling showed itself, as far as it may in a well-bred gentleman accustomed to society in his behavior, while waiting behind my chair at dinner." But I take Jeems to be, like most giants, good-natured, lazy, stupid, soft-hearted, and extremely fond of drink. One night, his lady being engaged to dinner at Nightingale House, I saw Mr. Jeems resting himself on a bench at the Pocklington Arms, where, as he had no liquor before him, he had probably exhausted his credit— Little Spitfire, Mr. Clarence Bulbul's boy, the wickedest little varlet that ever hung on to a cab, was chaffing Mr. Jeems, holding up to his face a pot of porter almost as big as the young Potifier himself. "Lay you now, big one, or won't you?' Spitfire said. "'If you're thirsty, why don't you say so and squench it, old boy?' "'Don't go on making fun of me. I can't bear chaffin.' was the reply of Mr. Jeems, and tears actually stood in his fine eyes as he looked at the porter and the screeching little imp before him. Spitfire, real name unknown, gave him some of the drink. I am happy to say, Jeems's face wove quite a different look when it rose gasping out of the porter, and I judge of his dispositions from the above trivial incident. The last boy in the sketch, six, need scarcely be particularized. Doctor's boy was a charity boy. Stripes evidently added on to a pair of the doctor's clothes of last year. Miss Clapperclaw pointed this out to me with a giggle. Nothing escapes that old woman. As we were walking in Kensington Gardens, she pointed me out Mrs. Bragg's nursery maid, who sings so loud at church, engaged with a lifeguardsman whom she was trying to convert probably my virtuous friend, rose indignant at the sight. "'That's why these minxes like Kensington Gardens,' she cried. "'Look at the woman. She leaves the baby on the grass for the giant to trample upon, and that little wretch of a Hastings brag is riding on the monstrous cane.' Miss C. flew up and seized the infant, waking it out of its sleep and causing all the gardens to echo with its qualling. "'I'll teach you to be impudent to me,' she said to the nursery maid.' with whom my vivacious old friend, I suppose, has had a deference, and she would not release the infant until she had rung the bell of Bungalow Lodge, where she gave it up to the footman. The giant and scarlet has slung down toward Knightsbridge, meanwhile. The big rogues are always crossing the park and the gardens and hankering about our street. End of section 5